Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. That's a life saved there, and that life is worth everything. Man, I love my church. Yeah, I'm the only one who loves my church. Yeah, I love my church. Oh, man, I love what God is doing here. Have you been enjoying our series, Bad Timing? There's nothing quite like bad timing, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's also nothing quite like being in the right place at the, at the right time, but that's next week's sermon. So I guess you're just going to have to mark that on the calendar. Nobody got what I was doing there. <laughs> bad timing. Today's sermon is entitled The Angry Villain. Not all anger is bad. Just the kind that you struggle with. Now, this story in the book of Esther, I'm going to be talking about Esther and her, and her older cousin Mordecai next week. So you've got to come back next week to hear what happens when humility and God through the spirit of humility times your life right. But for the rest of us, there's nothing quite like being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and today's sermon is called The Angry Villain. And if you are an angry person, then the devil really doesn't, I mean, it's self-sabotaging almost. And it just plays into the hands of what the devil wants for you, not what God wants for you. Now, I say the devil and God because I believe that there is a God. And I believe that if there's a God, that there's it's his opposite in, in the devil. And maybe, you, again, we just say, just watch the news. We think that the devil is at work in the life, in, in the world to hurt people. But God is at work to restore people and to bring people people back to himself. And in this story of, of Esther, I love it. You know, I, I'm not a complicated movie watcher. I love it when, <laughs> no, I was Pastor Aaron. I love it when the good guys are the good guys, and at the end of the film, they're still the good guys, and the bad guys are the bad guys, and they get their comeuppance. And in this story of, of Esther, the, the bad guy, whose name is Haman, the angry villain, he gets his comeuppance. In Esther chapter 3, it says this, sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman. Now, I can't give you the whole background story, so you're just going to have to go back. Actually, you know what you're going to have to do is probably read this in your Bible reading time every morning for 15 minutes. Actually, you know what? You know what? Don't read your Bible at home. Only read your Bible when you're here at church, or let me read it to you. Just don't read your Bible at home. No, just do it when you're at church. A little reverse psychology there. <laughs> Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. Now, we learned last week, and you need to go back if you haven't watched that or listened to that, that if King Xerxes had asked maybe six more questions, a humble person just asks six more questions, like, maybe I should check Haman, the Agagite's Facebook page. Before I date, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to ask six more questions before I go out on that date with that person. All the ladies, amen. All right. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by. For so the king had commanded, but Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's command? Now, Mordecai wasn't trying to, to, to be disrespectful to the king, but the king had promoted somebody who hated his people, an evil, wicked man. And so as a Christ follower, it's good that we are respectful and pray for the people in authority over us, but there's this higher authority. So it's not all just king and country, it's the king of heaven. And so when, when that law disagrees with God's law, then we're stuck in this place. And Mordecai here is like, I am not going to honor this guy. This guy's a crazy, hate-filled, angry person. 
And they spoke to him day after day, but still he refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct since Mordecai had told them he was a Jew. Now catch that. Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. Everybody knew this about Mordecai. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, or this word actually means almost worship, translated. Not like the respect that you would show like the Queen of England if, if you went to dinner with the Queen of England. Has anybody... Like respect, but this is more of like a worship sort of a thing. It says when um, Haman saw Mordecai wouldn't do this, he was filled with, that means like overflowing, like couldn't stop, came over the top, over, over the brim of the cup, pouring out all over the place. He was filled with rage. Rage. That can be translated wrath or get this, poison or venom. He was filled with this. Filled with this rage. This is actually a feminine noun here. No, no, just listen. Just listen. Hockey moms. This is when hockey mom, when you touch her boy out there and you touch my, I'm going to kill you. Hockey mom, has anybody ever watched a mom watch hockey? Why is my son not playing? Coach, he's the best player. Get him. This is like hockey mom rage. Can't be reasoned with. Insanity. Crazy crazy rage. <laughs> I'm talking about anger, so all you quiet people, I'm, I'm coming. Robert Frost uh, wrote a poem, and it said, some say the world will end in fire, some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. But if I had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. So there's a couple different types of angry, and you're going to probably fall into one or of these two categories. There's, there's I, I said I was making fun of that word being like a feminine noun. I don't know why. I just thought that was funny. But, but it's translated like rage, wrath, anger. That can also be translated heat. And so if you're a person who's like an outward person and you're outwardly angry, um, that's pretty obvious to everybody. Nobody has to really guess what, what you're thinking. But there's this other cold kind of anger that we need to talk about. Because if anger is a part of your story and a part of your life right now, then the devil really can control your timing and just play you. He's watched your game tape. He knows what to do and, and what to get somebody to say to you to get you to this place where you're just filled up, overflowing with, can't control anger. And there's two types of anger. And so I myself subscribe to the first one that's more like the fire anger. But there's you cold, cold people out there. Uh, where Ben? Ben was on an airplane. Uh, he had to go to Vancouver for work a couple weeks ago. And he said, I was sitting beside a guy from Airdrie, and I invited him to, to Venue Church, which is what you should be doing as well. I invited everybody to Venue Church. Like, you should come. And, um, and he said, so I invited him to Venue Church. He said, you should come to a worship experience. And the guy goes, well, what's it, what's it like? Well, you know, he's just talking about the music and stuff. And he goes, then he says, who do you worship? And, and Ben says, uh, Jesus. <laughs> like, Jesus is a church thing. And, um, and he said, what happened was the guy just got cold as ice. Just looked ahead. Wouldn't make eye contact. Wouldn't talk with him anymore. And I'm like, oh, there's different types of angry. And what I think happens is, like, if, if you have an angry child who's outwardly angry, they almost demand discipline, don't they? They demand that you look at them and have to deal with them. There's this other kind of anger, though. For you quiet people, you just go under, undercover. 
Come on, do we got any quiet, angry people out there? You, yeah, we see you now. You just go kind of undercover. And here, here's the thing with a quiet, angry, or stubborn person. You just go undercover, and you can spend some years under there. And do you know who's, who, whose voice you hear under there? Your own voice until you start getting a little crazy. And nobody else is in your head. And nobody else is in your heart. And it's just you. And after a while, you make the story up. How everybody has wronged you and everybody has hurt you. And it starts with real hurt and then it warps into this other thing. And because you never tell anybody what you're really thinking and what you're really feeling, one day, and it's amazing when you see a quiet person lose their mind. So I'm kind of covering both the cold angry and the hot angry. See, I was a hot angry kid, so you just deal with me, man. I just demanded discipline. Everybody, I'm not happy. I'm not getting what I want. Yeah, we know. I just had a temper on me. And so, so what God had to do in my life is he had to start controlling this, this anger. Not so that I just control it, so the Holy Spirit uh, controls it. But there was, this, there was this, this one time, like probably the worst day of my life, that I remember this, this happened that this was how out of control it used to be for me. And I, I, uh, we were living in Los Angeles at the time in, in Pasadena, California, and I was probably about eight years old or nine, something like that. And um, my brother, my little brother, now how many people know that like, your younger siblings have got your number? And my brother would be like, hey, fatty. I was a bit chunky. I'm like, hey, fatty. And I just... Then I get, I get all disciplined, right? Because I'd lose my mind. If I remember this one time, we... We had somebody coming over, and it wasn't just somebody. It was Crystal Berg was coming over. And it was this family called the Bergs, and Crystal was like my age, and she was hot. Like for an eight-year-old or whatever, she was hot. I'm just like, okay, best behavior, Corey. <laughs> the best laid plans of mice and men. and Best behavior, Corey. And so mom's like, y'all stink. Get into your room and change your clothes. Like get fresh clothes on at least, you know. And so Ryan and I, the thing is our room overlooked the front yard. And so Ryan and I, we're changing, and then we hear a car drive up, and, and, and from 15 steps away, we look through there, and a car drives up, and it's the Bergs, and Crystal gets out, and they start walking up, walking up the sidewalk to the house. And in the moment that we closed the blinds and went back to getting changed, Ryan must have been ahead of me or something, but Ryan got me fired up, probably, Ryan was a poisonous little guy. <laughs> you probably call me fat, I'm just saying, Mom. Hurtful. I don't know what he did, but, you know, here's the thing. If the devil can get to you in one sentence, you got an anger problem. I don't care who it is, and I don't care what they say. The devil shouldn't be able to control you like that. And boom, I got mad. Now, there were two exits to, to our room. When, one went back into the, um, into the safety of the bathroom, and, and the other one, this is my room. This is them coming, 15 steps. The other one went out into the unsafety of the entryway, of the house. And my brother bolted this way, and I followed him in my birthday suit. <laughs> hey, it's Crystal Berg. What do you know? Hi. Yeah. Let me just go back in here and get some clothes on, and then we can come back. And those are those scarring times when you're a child where you got to come back and sit down and eat dinner with these people. It's like, hey, what's up? I like your shirt. Yeah, thanks. It's a, it's a, it's a good shirt. It's a good shirt. <laughs> what do you even do as a child? It makes you a, it warps you. I don't even know how I get up and be around. I check for pants like 15 times before I come on stage. It's never going to happen again. 
So what, what kind of anger controls your timing? See, anger will make you stand when you should sit. It'll make you run when you should walk. And anger, it closes all the, the right doors and opens all the wrong doors. You keep that anger. If you're a quiet angry, a cold angry, a hot angry person, it opens the wrong doors and it closes all the right doors at all the, the, the wrong time. And it's more than self-sabotage. And I need to talk about this just for a second. It's actually, there's actually a spiritual element to this. I believe that the physical world comes from the spiritual world. Where does it all come from? Well, if God is spirit and the world was created by God for some greater purpose, and that's what I believe, if that's the case, then the spiritual world is actually quite powerful. It's just we don't see it, so it's easy to ignore what you don't see or what you don't think that you deal with. But there's this other thing that if you've ever grown up in an abusive home, which is some of, some of our story, is you grew up in a, an abusive home. I grew up in a great home, and I was lucky, but not all of you were that lucky. You know that when there's a person who's an angry person, that's one thing. There's this, like, boiling over of frustration. But if you've ever been in the home of somebody who had a spirit of anger, there is nothing more cruel than a spirit of anger. You know what you say when you get angry. And you know that there's this other thing that's pushing you to do things and say things. And then you come back and you do this Canadian apology like, hey, I'm sorry you took it that way. You know what? There was only one way to take it. The way you said it and the way you meant it. Now, if you're teaching your kids to apologize, teach them how to apologize, right, please? No, I said that and I meant it. That's how bad I should feel right now. I'm sorry for saying it and meaning it because you don't say what you don't mean. Come on. But if you've ever, there's this other, so God is wanting you to do good in your life and wanting the Holy Spirit to control you to do good and to give, make your timing good. But the devil's on this other side. He's just pushing all your buttons. So you're getting cold angry. You're creating this weird little story in your head. You're getting outwardly angry. He's opening all the wrong doors to all the wrong things. And it's a spiritual thing. And you need to understand that because if a door has been opened, it needs to be closed. And if there's one thing I know, it's that, look, you can't replace an addiction to something with nothing. So you have to replace it with an addiction to something else. So it's not just like, God, I just don't want to feel angry anymore. No, no, no. It has to be replaced by something else. You have an addiction to something, pornography. You, you need to replace it with an addiction to something else. That's the only way to do that. You replace idols. But, but I was an orange personality type of kid. And I was naked in the entry. We, we do a true colors personality test in NXT so that, not just so that you find out who you are, but orange people, we're always like out there. You, you always know exactly what we're thinking. You quiet people though. Well, I'm gonna preach to you today. But it's not just so you know who you are, it's also so you, so you know who people are. You just tell people, I mean, people don't see the world the way that you see. You need to know how they see the world so that you can connect better with them. Anyways, that's why we do it in, in NXT after church at at 12 o'clock. It's about Venue Church. If this is your church, you think this might be your church, you want more information, see there. Serve your food, take care of your kids. Oh my goodness. But I don't care who you are. There's nothing that should be able to wind you up like that. There's nothing in the world that should be able to wind you up and get you out of control. And it opens the door in your life to this whole idea that God, I need to represent myself because nobody else will. And when you represent yourself in court all of the time, it, it closes the doors of God in your life. So this is when you get mad and you get lonely and you're just like, God, if you're not going to send the right one, then I'm just going to find somebody with a pulse. And God's like, why don't you just wait for an extra week? Why don't you just finish freedom? So why don't you just 
finish freedom sessions, just get clean, get free, but why are you doing this now? Why are you doing this now? I'm not preaching to somebody, I'm preaching to everybody. Like, I didn't get that promotion at work, so I gotta represent myself, and I gotta go in there and be all like, well, that doesn't ever go well. But it's this whole thing of like, I had to survive by myself, and if I don't represent myself, who will? That's at, at the bottom of it, of anger. Or, or we slip into this, God, I've had a hard week, so I owe it to myself. And then you do something stupid. God's like, you owed that to yourself? No, God, I owe, because you know what? Nobody's looking out for me except for me. Yeah, that's at the bottom of, of a lot of our anger, I think. Now, in this account here, I'm going to go back to Haman, and you're going to see how poorly timed his anger made his entire life and how it wrecked everything for him. In fact, it cost him his life in the end. Uh, you don't understand this story here because you're Canadians and y'all live in a world that's fairly nice, right? This was not a nice world, not nice cultures that, that, that the nation of Israel was in right now. In fact, they'd been taken captive by this other nation who could do whatever they wanted to with him. And so I'm not going to re-preach last week's message about King Xerxes and the size of his kingdom, although it was 127 provinces and it was massive. And so we find Esther... Um, being replacing Queen Vashti in the kingdom, and I'm going to preach Esther next week. But what had happened was, Haman came up with this thing because, because of what Mordecai had done for him. He got so angry, not just at Mordecai, he just wanted to wipe out the whole nation of Israel. So he gets the king because the king didn't ask six more questions. He gets the king to sign a decree saying like, okay, we're going to create a holocaust right now, and on this day next year, this is going to go down. And so, so when this proclamation happens, Mordecai is, is mortified. Oh, I just saw that right now. I just couldn't, like, that's pretty good. You can smile. It's okay. It's okay. It was bad. It's your uncle's jokes at, at Grey Cup. It's, you just got to laugh. It's okay. And so Mordecai hears about this. And Mordecai, what he does was, is he sends to Queen Esther now, who is King Xerxes' uh, newish wife, and he sends to her and he says, okay, you need to stand up for your people here. Don't think that you'll escape this. You need, to, you need to represent your people here. Now, Mordecai represents his people to Esther, and he's, she's, he's like, you need to go to the king and represent your people, or your people might perish. You need to go to the king. And, but, but what you don't know about the, the law at the time, and I'll maybe preach this next week, is that the king didn't have any guests that he didn't invite. And if you came into his courts and he didn't invite you there, you're going to get killed. And so Esther's like, I can't go in to see him right now because he, he hasn't even asked for me in 30 days. So like we're having marriage problems. And if I go see him and he doesn't like me and he doesn't hold out his scepter to me to say like it's okay. And so Mordecai's like, don't you think that you'll escape? You need to represent your people now. And so they come up with this plan and so Esther takes her life in her hands and, and does this massive risk and goes in in front of King Xerxes and King Xerxes, found, you know, she found favor in his eyes. The spirit of God was on her something in this humility. Oh my goodness, it just opens doors. And King Xerxes says, what do you want, Esther? Up to half my kingdom. That, that's how they used to say it. Like 49% of my company. 62.23 provinces, if you want them. I did put that in my notes ahead of time. You want half of my kingdom, Esther? She found favor. And all she did was invite him to lunch. She goes, hey, you want to come for lunch? And he's like, it seems like a heavy risk for lunch, but okay. <laughs> and then she goes, can you bring Haman too? 
So they eat lunch, and it must have been really good because King Xerxes says, what, what else can I do for you? And this is where we pick up the story today um, in, that, in that all she does at that lunchtime is say, hey, can you come for, to lunch tomorrow again? And King Xerxes says yes. And so Haman leaves this place, and this is where we pick it up. Haman was a happy man as he left the banquet. But when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate, not standing up or trembling nervously before him, Haman became furious. Hockey mom, angry. <laughs> but notice that. Uh, stand, Mordecai, he only had two, two proper uh, things that Mordecai sh- should do. He was sitting in, in the gate, but he should have stood and bowed, or he should have just got flat on his face and worshipped. I mean, that's the only two things that Haman, Haman was looking for in Mordecai. So notice uh, Mordecai's posture. He just sat there. That's for later. That's a test coming up. That's for later. So Haman's happy. This is when everything is going well in your life, but because you have an anger problem, one little person looking funny at you wrecks your whole day. You just, your kid says one little thing and it just throws you off. Gets you all quiet and angry. Come on, you quiet people. You don't know what to do now. You're not allowed to say amen. You're not allowed to... (laughs) However, he restrained himself and he went on home. Then Haman gathered together his, his this is going to blow your mind, his friends and Zeresh, his wife, a bloodthirsty bunch, and, and boasted to them about his great wealth and his many children. This is when you get all your buddies together. You're like, I'm amazing. My girlfriend's hot. I got all the money. I'm a Persian rapper. Come on. I had all these sons. You know, I got 10 sons. And his wife is like, I know. I know. Yeah, I've had all these. No, you didn't. I had the sons. I had all these sons. I'll explain that later. I feel like it's not landing. So he bragged about the honors the king had given him and how he had been promoted over all the other nobles and officials. Then Haman added, and that's not all. Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet she prepared for us because maybe she's got the hots for me. I don't know. This is how, this is how good it's getting for me. And she is in, I just threw that in there. That's not in the Bible. And she has invited me. Hey, man, if you're, pro, if you're crazy like this guy, you're probably thinking that. And she has invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. Then he added, but this is all worth nothing as long as I can see Mordecai the Jew just sitting there at the palace gate. Everything else is going really, really good, but there's just this one thing that can call the shots in my life. There's one thing that can just derail the train. I can't get a rise out of him but he can get a rise out of me. So Haman's wife, Zeresh, and all his friends suggested, you ready for the mind-blowing part? Set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall. Kids, put your hands over your ears. You should be in venue kids anyways. Um, Set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall, and in the morning, catch that, ask the king to impale Mordecai on it. Anybody else think that guy not crazy? 75 feet tall. Yeah, set it up in your yard, sure, and stick Mordecai on it. In the morning, you got to wait for the right time, though, right? In the, in, the, in the morning, in the morning, go ask the king. In the morning. At the right time, go ask the king so that he can put Mordecai. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Let's write this down. If you're taking notes, write down in the morning. If you're not taking notes, write down in the morning. It'll be on the test. What a bloodthirsty lot. It says, when, when this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. <laughs> So this will make you super happy. This pleased Haman, and he ordered the pole set up. Now, this is the harsh reality of the time that they're living in. And so in Canadian culture, it sounds really, really harsh, but this is what they were having to survive in. 
when Lord of the Rings came out, we went uh, to watch that with, with my, my wife and, uh, and my sister-in-law and my mom. We all went to watch Lord of the Rings. And the girls all said the same thing. They're like, why are the orcs so ugly? And, you know, it's like, and when our kids watch it, like, Dad, what are those orcs doing to those people? And it's how it was in the book, too. You just didn't, didn't see it the way that it was happening. And this is how it is in, in this book, too. But you have to imagine what's really going on with it. You have to imagine Mordecai and Esther having to swim in these waters and the entire nation of Israel facing extinction right here and right now. But, um, and I'm not going to preach this till next week, but something, something happens. Are y'all coming up? It's way too early to come up. That was the first Haman on a stake, but it's way too early. I got to go through my next set. So, but, but something happens in the story here Something, something happens that I'm not going to tell you what happens, but, but Haman, when he walks into the court of the king the next morning, when he walks into the, at, the, at exactly the wrong time, at exactly the wrong time, he walks into the court of the king, and it, just as he's about to open his mouth, the king, something had happened overnight. And I'm not going to preach until next week, so you've got to come back next week. Something had happened overnight. And just as he was walking into the court of the king to ask to stick Mordecai on this pole, the king says, I need you to go and honor Mordecai. He's got to lead him around on the king's horse and shout out, thus will be to the man that the king delights in, who was supposed to be on a stake in my yard, but things went horribly wrong for me. (laughs) And so this happens, and then we come back into the story. So I'll get to that next week, but then we come back into this story. At exactly the wrong time, he enters the outer court, and and it says, then he went home. Back to his wife and his bloodthirsty friends. Esther chapter 6 and and verse 13. When Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends what had happened, his wise advisors and wife, (laughs) wise, tongue-in-cheek, said, uh, since Mordecai, this man who, who has humiliated you is of Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. the same people that just said you should make this 75 foot stake and put Mordecai on there who we all know is Jewish because this whole decree is passed and we know that this is Jewish and we know that our that Haman hates this guy and we know that this is all set up in and around this whole racial thing and now okay if you're an angry person you're an icy or you're a fiery angry person listen to me listen to me listen to me everybody will obey you if you're in charge but if something starts going against you, because an angry person is only loyal to their own anger, when things start to go against you, they'll sell you out like that. Because nobody likes living with an angry person. Nobody likes it when an angry person is in charge of a division or in charge of children. Or How can they turn on? Where were they a day before? Like, what are you doing? If Mordecai's a Jew, you won't be able to stand against him. Why? Because Israel had a history of God saving them. And now they turn on him. Now they're like, oh, well, you're done. While they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took him into the banquet Esther had prepared. <laughs> like, well, you're not ready. Your stuff isn't on. Come on, come on, come on. Why are you crying? Wipe that off. I mean, you don't walk into the king's presence crying. Come on, let's go to lunch. Can you imagine the timing of this thing? Think, think, think. This has happened in your life too. 
Your anger made you do things in the most ridiculous timing. Why? Because the devil, the spirit of anger was controlling your timing. Esther 7. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. On the second occasion, while they were drinking wine, they seemed to do a lot of this. I said that thing about Nova Scotia last week, and I'm sorry. And it made it sound like I have been partying with Nova Scotians on vacation in the past, and I have not. I'm just saying you can always tell where they are. That's what I, just to clear it up. And the other day, I also said something about parking out in the parking lot to free up a space for a visitor, but it came out like this. I let somebody, I let, how did that come out? Like, I, I, I let my people park out in the parking lot way out there so that I can get the best parking spot. That's how it came out, but that's not how I'm doing it. Sometimes I mix stuff up a little bit. I got a little off. They're drinking wine, right, right. The king again said to Esther, tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. What favor that a humble person has, but you got to come back. Queen Esther replied, if I have found favor with the king and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life, listen, listen, and the lives of my people will be spared. Now watch what a humble anger does, because not all anger is bad. All the anger defending you is bad. But she's like, I and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people, listen to this bold young woman. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill. You remember, remember the language in that decree? Kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. And she, listen, if we, she says, us together had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet for that would be too trivial a thing to warrant a matter to warrant disturbing the king. So if it was just slavery, I wouldn't be here. If that was all, I wouldn't even be bothering you with your time. This is not Canadian anger about the smallest, ridiculous little offenses and imagined things that we come up with. She's like, look, I could get over that if it was just slavery. For my people and I. This is when you get so fed up with the red tape that there's this holy and humble anger that you get so, so fed up with something that's going on then you, then you pray for that person that hurt you and then one day you invite them to church. That, that person that at work that's just driving you crazy. And if, and if you're here and you're here with somebody from work, it's like, that's not you. It's somebody else. And you pray for that person that hurt you and used you. You pray for them. You pray that God would forgive them and forgive their sins. This is when you've had it so much You've just had, you're just like, you know what? And this holy anger gets a hold of you. And you're like, no more. I'm going to pray for this. I'm going to do the other thing. I'm going to come in an opposite spirit. And King Xerxes demanded, who would do such a thing? Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Esther replied, this wicked Haman. He's like eating a turkey leg. Like, oh, well. <laughs> this wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. This Haman. Like, don't call it a comeback. Mama said, knock you out, Haman. Oh, you in my house now. Oh, you thought it was all soft. You thought I was this little girl, and you thought, oh. Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage. Get, get the posture. He jumped to his feet in a rage in the, in the hockey mom rage. Same thing, same thing. Jumps, man. It makes, you, it makes you jump when you should sit. It makes you run when you should walk. And he went out into the palace garden full of the poison of his own anger. But watch how God uses the anger of the king against the anger of Haman. 
Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life. Uh Uh-huh. With Queen Esther. I didn't know hope with the king, man. Queen Esther, she seemed nice. Like, she was nice a minute ago. (laughs) For for he knew that the king intended to, to kill him. He had a spirit of prophecy. In despair, he fell on the couch. He he fell. Get his posture. Now he falls. He wanted to be worshipped, but now he falls. He's like, where Queen Esther was was reclining. I like that. She's kind of sitting back, got her feet up. Reclining. Get the posture. Get the posture. She says this while she's sitting in the armchair. Like, this wicked Haman. Go back to watching TV. Hey, if you're humble, there's nothing on earth that can move you. There's nothing on earth that can come against you if you're a humble person. You sit down, man, you let it go. He fell on the, on the couch just as the king was returning from the palace garden. Oh, another perfect timing. He flops over on Esther's couch and, and watch this, watch this. Watch what the king thought. The king exclaimed, will he even assault the queen? And he's like, I'm not assaulting the queen. But that's what it looked like. Will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? And as soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face, signaling his doom. He's like, we don't like looking at corpses. Yuck. (laughs) You dead. You done. You. Jerry, oh my goodness, every week this happens. Jerry, go get a shovel. (laughs) Go dig me a hole in the backyard and throw this poor fool in it. hate digging holes. Been digging holes all week because the king's a maniac. <laughs> then Harbona's eyes light up. One of the king's eunuchs said, hey, wait a minute. Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. I can see it from my house and I don't like digging. <laughs> he intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Listen to Mordecai, Mordecai, Mordecai. He didn't have to stand either. Because this guy in the king's court is defending him. Hey, remember Mordecai? Haman set this thing up. I don't want to dig a hole, basically, in brackets. I don't want to dig a hole. He set this stake up to come Mordecai, the guy that saved you from assassination. You remember Mordecai, old cousin to Queen Esther. When God goes to battle for you, there's nothing in hell that can stop him. The devil doesn't see him coming. The devil doesn't know his playbook, man. He call a blitz anytime he wants. Little football. Then impale Haman on it, the king ordered. So they impaled Haman on a pole he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. Impale Haman on it. Isn't that what anger does? Anger will eventually, if you live by the sword, you'll die by it. Anger will eventually impale you on it, on your own anger, on the trap that you set for somebody else, on the words that you spoke about somebody else, then those things come back to you. Now, I think the Holy Spirit can, can change your story right now. Now, sometimes what's done is done, and we get that. It's the world we live in. But I really think that the Holy Spirit can change the story of your tomorrow. So I was trying to, trying to come up with a, like a Canadian version of this story because <laughs> we don't really get this unless you came from someplace else. But, you know, um, we got about like, I don't know, six inches of snow the other day. Emotionally, it felt like about 12 feet to me. Oh I'm in the wrong country. No, I love my country. It snows. 
and uh, and I went out on we went out Friday night, Aaron and I did to drive across the city, and so we're driving across the city, and we have a four by four, and we come up in this one corner. I was telling Arwen about it on our way to church this morning. That it's always icy. It's always icy. You just gotta watch it. And so I kind of slid into this little merge thing, a little bit. Now I, I had lots of time, but as I got out onto the road, um, is anybody not a a confident passenger when somebody else is is driving? Looking over here, I feel the spirit of God tell me there's somebody in the front row. This hot girl in the front row named Darren. Now she's the white knuckle queen in that car, man. She just, I can tell she like grabs something. And then I just, and I say every single time, are we on high alert? You want a high alert? Is something like, and so we're driving and it's, it's a little icy and the truck's slipping around a little bit. And then, and then I did something that I wasn't even thinking about how it would affect her. Although in, in, in her defense in the past, I've done this a million times, but I just, I, there was no traffic and I just hammered the brakes on just to see how icy it was. And then she's like, wait, what did you, anger. <laughs> but I'm like, and to be fair, I've done that like a million times just because that's what guys do in the vehicles. Like, hey man, we got to see, we got to test it. We got to test the road. We got to see if it's safe for, you, for everybody. But I didn't tell her that that's what I was doing. And so what she does is she... She gets kind of mad, and then I, then I said, you know, sorry. <laughs> I actually apologized this time. I was quite proud of myself. And I said, I wasn't doing it to make you afraid. I was just doing it so that when there's traffic, I don't have to find out how bad it is. That's all. I, I'm just doing it so that when there's nobody here to, to run into, I'm just doing it to, to see how bad the conditions are, how good this got kind of new, newer, older vehicles. And I'm just, we haven't driven on snow much, and so I'm just... I'm just doing it so that when there's traffic and when there's other people involved, we can be safe. I think somebody's kind of getting where this is going. And sometimes when God is trying to drive your car through conditions, he, he hits the brakes and he tries to do this before there's other people involved and other people around, but he hits the brakes. But what we do is we get a little bit angry because we're so used to representing ourselves that we're nervous passengers when somebody else is driving, but God is the one who wanted to drive. And so we somehow trust our snow abilities. But here's the thing. We've never driven in the snow that's coming tomorrow. We've never driven in those conditions. And the only one who has is God. And we, we reach over in the middle of a situation where God kind of hits it just to let you know how your life is really going and how your vehicle is really driving and what the conditions are really like. And he tries to hit it in your morning devotion time, but if you don't have it, then it, then it happens when you're with a car full of people with carfuls of other people around you at work and in family and everything else. And you get angry, and then you reach over and try to take the wheel and try to get your feet over on the pedals. And I realize, you know what the opposite of anger is? I don't think it's peace. I think that peace is kind of a word that like, Choose peace. I get it. I get it. I was out praying on Wednesday morning. And I really felt this. I'm like, Holy Spirit, what is the opposite of anger? What is a choice that I can make that can defeat the anger that's been part of my story? And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, trust. Trust. And I said, oh, okay, that makes sense to me. Trust, not the emotion trust, not the thinking trust, not like I can, I can trust because of, no, 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 the decision trust. God, you drive. I'm going to trust that you're going to do good and I'm, I'm going to enjoy the scenery a little more because snow is quite beautiful unless you think that you're the one driving and then all you do is look down at the road. But what God does is he brings a Holy Spirit that you can trust and says, trust me with your life 
and, and here's the thing. He's like, trust me to protect you. Trust me to protect your children. Trust me to protect your job. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to represent yourself in court anymore. But what happens is when we get angry is that, is that we represent ourselves and, and then we end up protecting ourselves and our children. But that is so limiting. It leaves you unprotected at all the wrong times and the timing is awful. But see, if God can control you and, and control your life and you trust a little more and you decide, I'm going to trust you with my job. I'm going to trust you with my job. I'm going to trust you in this relation. I'm going to trust you with my friendships. God, what do you want me to do? And sometimes he'll just say, why don't you just look out at the winter wonderland a little more and enjoy the wonder of it all just a little more. Father, I pray this week that we would learn how to trust you. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.